Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 11 of Superman and Batman. My name is Michael Bradley, and if this is your first episode of the show, I want to welcome you. If this is not your first episode, then I want to welcome you back. This is a podcast where each and every episode, we look at a Superman and Batman team-up from throughout the years, and those stories are mostly chosen at random from the pages of World's Finest Comics. We strayed from that title for the last couple episodes, looking at the existing portions of the character's first team-up on radio, as well as a more recent story. But this episode, we're back, and we're going all the way back to the early days of those Titanic team-ups. And when I say all the way back, I really do mean all the way back, because this episode, we're going to be looking at the Superman and Batman story from World's Finest Comics number 80, which is just the 10th team-up between those two characters in that title. World's Finest Comics number 80 was released on or around November 29th, 1955, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, and has a January-February 1956 cover date. With 32 pages, it has a cover price of one whole dime, and is approved by the Comics Code Authority. I don't think I mentioned it in episode 6 when I covered issue 75, but that was the first issue of World's Finest Comics to bear the Comics Code stamp. So it's still a relatively new development here, you know, for whatever bearing that had on the stories, since stories with Superman and Batman already had been toned down well within acceptable standards before the CCA was even a concept. Uh, But our cover is by Wynne Mortimer and shows Superman acting as a human bridge, or, or Kryptonian bridge, I guess it is, so that a train engineer can make his way from a burning train into the safety of a Batmobile. Or the, Bat- the Batmobile, I guess, because there is only one Batmobile. It's an okay cover, I guess. I mean, it's a neat idea, and the layout, while a bit awkward, is unusual for this era of comics. But where it falls apart for me is, if the train is on fire, wouldn't it be much easier for Superman to just grab the conductor and fly into safety? I mean, getting Robin to drive the Batmobile and match the speed of a burning train so that this guy can tightrope walk across Superman, it just seems really, really dangerous and a little bit awkward. Um, It it, it feels like one of those ideas that sounds really cool, but kind of falls apart in execution. And unfortunately, the perspective and the proportions are, are off on the cover, and Batman looks to be twice the size of Robin as he awkwardly straddles the back of the Batmobile. I, I, I don't know. It, it's just a weird cover. I mean, it's a neat idea, but it's, it's a weird cover. And it really has not a lot to do with the story inside. I mean, we do see a scene like this, but it's a very, very minor part of the story. So, we'll move on. Our 12-page story was written by Edmund Hamilton and penciled by Dick Sprang, inked by Stan Kay, and edited, along with the rest of the issue, by Jack Schiff. Extra, extra, get your Gotham Gazette with scoop stories by the most famous reporters on Earth, Superman, Batman, and Robin. Read how the mighty Man of Steel and the dynamic duo scoop the world on the most sensational menace to ever threaten a great city. Here it is, the thrilling and dramatic feature story of how Superman and Batman became rival reporters on the super newspaper of Gotham City. From behind the closed door of a famous newspaper office, the familiar cry of Great Caesar's Ghost rings out. But, 
It's not Perry White doing the shouting. It's editor Lois Lane ordering Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne to bring her the biggest scoops. But how is this possible? Well, for the answer to that, we must go back in time just a few short days to the middle of a great crisis at the Gotham Gazette, as the paper's editor, Mr. Hall, is informed by the directors that they voted to suspend publication due to dwindling circulation. On the verge of a major crime expose he sure will boost sales, Hall appeals to Bruce Wayne, who just happens to be one of the board members, and Bruce agrees to do what he can to help save the paper. Bruce speaks with the rest of the directors, who agree to give Hall 30 days to increase circulation. And to himself, Bruce knows the only way to make that happen is to hire the best reporters available. Soon, Batman and Robin take to the skies in the Batplane, using the jet's exhaust to create a huge flaming S in the sky, alerting the one and only Superman that he is needed. Within seconds, the Man of Steel is on the scene. Batman explains the situation, and Superman agrees to help. Returning to the Daily Planet, he assumes his guise of Clark Kent and uses a bit of reverse psychology to convince Perry White to allow he and Lois to temporarily go to work for the Gazette. Unfortunately, when they show up for their first day on the job, they find Hall being carried out on a stretcher, having collapsed from overwork. Doctors say Hall won't be able to speak for weeks, leaving Bruce with no choice but to join Clark Kent as a reporter for the paper and try to uncover the crime ring that Hall was about to expose. Unfortunately, one thing stands in their way. The Gazette's temporary editor-in-chief, Lois Lane. Since, as we've seen, having a simple conversation is too difficult a feat for even the world's finest heroes, Clark and Bruce split up, each with the double task of getting a big scoop to pacify Lois's iron-fisted rule as editor and tracking down Hall's mystery story, with the only clue being a single phrase that he had written on a piece of paper inside his desk the mole who threatens Gotham City. And hopefully that phrase actually relates to the case and isn't the title of Hall's latest B-movie pitch to Warner Brothers. But anyway, as Bruce drives away in his limo, Clark slips into a nearby alley, because getting a big scoop certainly is a job for Superman. Remembering a teletype, and that's what they called Twitter alerts back in the 50s, folks, about a ship trapped in the Arctic ice, the Man of Steel takes to the skies. As he arrives at his northern destination, Superman knows he has to stay hidden or things could get awkward when Clark Kent reports the story. So, using a little super strength, he smashes free a large chunk of ice and then uses a little super friction to smooth it into a huge lens. Then, much like frying ants on the sidewalk with a magnifying glass, Superman uses the glare of the noonday sun through the lens to fry the ship and its occupants, therefore making the stuck ship a non-issue. Oh, no, no, wait, 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 that's not right. He uses a lens to melt the ice around the ship, okay, probably causing untold damage to the environment in the process, but they don't really get into that, and then dives in the water and pushes the ship back to port. But seriously, I mean, what the heck here? I mean, I I guess it's a good thing that Superman has super accuracy to go with his super strength and super friction, because, anyway, moving on, moving on. Meanwhile, back in Gotham City... Bruce attempts to cover the dedication of a new park, but the event is so crowded he must become Batman so that he and Robin can assist the police with crowd control. Everything turns out okay, and Batman fills in Robin about the mole who threatened Gotham City. 
Robin goes to investigate, while Bruce returns to the Gazette to file his story. The problem is, Bruce doesn't have a story, since the park dedication was a bust. But superhero groupie Lois Lane is overjoyed about Bruce's perceived failure, since news about Batman is far better than a shipful of people escaping certain death in the frozen Arctic. One really awkward transition later, and we meet up with Superman, Batman, and Robin in the Batcave. Robin explains that he's discovered the Mole is the nickname of a crook who likes to dig tunnels. He might also be part inspiration for the Legion of Superheroes, if you've listened to Super Future Friends. Which you should, because it's awesome. Anyway, our heroes are about to investigate when a bat signal alerts them to a runaway train that also is on fire. Because kids, that cover image has got to come from somewhere. Superman and Batman are able to save the day, and Bruce returns to the Gazette with a story, which leads Lois to berate Clark for being beaten out by an amateur. Bruce, meanwhile, stands nearby with a smug expression, causing Clark to snap his neck, and then respond to Lois' abject horror with, I couldn't be the only one bored with that guy, right? Superman, out! So, despite the scoops about the ship's miraculous save... Batman and Robin's downtown crowd control, and an awesome rescue by Superman and the dynamic duo, Lois, clearly tripping on her newfound power, demands more and better scoops. She sends the reporters out, saying she's going to clean out her desk and, quote, institute some real order around here, unquote. Because nothing says good management like a well-organized desk. Worried she'll find the note about the mole, and still unwilling to have a simple conversation... Batman and Superman know they have to solve this mystery fast. Slipping into a nearby broom closet, the world's finest team starts to get undressed, once again, not as weird as it might seem, when a radio call comes in from Robin. The Boy Wonder tells Batman he's found the mole, but the call is abruptly cut off, meaning that Robin is in trouble. We then get a flashback showing how the trail led Robin to discover the mole was posing as the owner of the Hurrah Construction Company. He tried to radio Batman, but was taken hostage by the mole and his thugs. Apparently the crooks are building a phony storm sewer that can be used to stage bank robberies, and they aren't about to let some kid in tights get in their way. But the criminals haven't reckoned with Superman's amazing powers. One super speed and x-ray vision filled search of the city later, and Superman discovers not only the phony pipeline around the city, but sees the crooks leading Robin down one of the tunnels. Unwilling to risk Robin's safety by, you know, rescuing him, Batman follows the crooks while Superman does what he does best, dig another tunnel. Uh, Seriously, folks, go listen to Super Future Friends. You'll understand. The Man of Steel closes the crook's tunnel and quickly digs another one, which leads the thugs directly to a Gotham jail cell. Superman then seals up the floor behind them, trapping the mole and his criminal gang inside, where they spend about a panel swearing vengeance as Batman and Robin just laugh and talk about how it'll make a great story for the paper. Because they're not only superheroes, they're also super dicks. Bruce Wayne then returns to the Gazette to file the story, Superman offers a little high-speed delivery, and the Gotham Gazette soon is the hottest paper in town once more. Hall thanks Bruce for his work, and Clark and Lois return to the Daily Planet, where they find nothing has changed, as editor Perry White orders his reporters to get back to work. The end. In a word, folks, I loved this one. 
Sure, it had a silly premise and maybe a bit of an implausible one, but it was tightly told, and Hamilton did a good job of circumventing some of the largest issues that might come up when you start with the premise of Clark and Bruce as competing reporters. Um, There's just so much I could say about this one. I think something that makes it such an enjoyable story is that silly premise. One of the things that makes Superman and Batman work as a team is that they are very different characters. Um, Even in this era when heroes were, for the most part, kind of portrayed the same, at their core, they're very different characters. But that difference is also a hindrance because it's difficult to pit them against one another in plausible ways. And when I say that, I don't mean pit them against one another in that they have to fight physically or or compete, even though that's what they do here, and it can certainly be that, but basically you know, just creating conflict for your story. And as we go through more of the stories, uh, particularly the Silver Age ones here, we'll find or we'll see different ways the writers try to create conflict between Superman and Batman. Sometimes it works, sometimes it really, really doesn't. But here it did, even though you might not expect it to on paper. Um, it, It was nice seeing them compete as reporters, but at the same time working together both in their civilian identities and their tights-wearing identities, to solve the case. And it was fun seeing Bruce win, I guess you might say. I mean, it was nice seeing him get the so-called big scoops, even if the the save of the ship really should be a bigger story than, you know, Batman and Robin working crowd control at a park. Um, But that leads me to another of the story's strong points, and that the characters' roles are really well-balanced in this story. Superman, Batman, and even Robin all get their chance to shine. Uh, Superman's moments come in the super feats that all the kids plunk down their dime to see. Batman's comes in the form of Bruce, you know, quote-unquote winning the battle of reporters. And Robin gets in on the action by really being the one who cracks the case. I mean, sure, he got taken hostage by the villain, but, you know, that's kind of his thing. Robin the bait wonder. Um... Lois was, I thought, pretty well used. I I would have liked to have seen more of her getting in there and and rolling up her sleeves and actually being the editor. Um, But this isn't her story, and there simply wasn't room for it. Uh, Plus, I've read enough Superman comics to know that I don't think the writers in the 50s, and okay, the 60s and 70s really as well, had a real good idea of what a newspaper editor does. Or maybe really, honestly, more likely, what we get is just a a simplified, you know, 50s version of that. Uh, But all in all, just a a really fun story and a strong outing for this era. And the era is definitely important to keep in mind with this story, I'll admit. But then again, it's always important to keep in mind. Uh, I just just really don't have any major complaints about it. Uh, The scene with the runaway train was unnecessary. But it did give Superman and Batman a chance to work together in costume, which was good, and something that they probably try to work in most of these early stories. Um, I talked about Lois, and there's, you know, it is very simplistic in parts. You know, it's not, uh, one big story isn't going to turn around a publication that's, you know, ready to close its doors. The financial situation is going to be a lot more complicated than that, but uh, 
and, and to a great uh, a great metropolitan newspaper like the Daily Planet isn't just going to loan out their two best reporters like this. But again, keeping in mind the era and for whom these stories were written, it works just fine. And the art? The art is amazing. According to records at Mike's Amazing World of Comics, this is the third world's finest story illustrated by Dick Sprang. Um, He'd been drawing Batman for almost a decade at this point, so of course that character looks great. But even this early in drawing Superman, Sprang does a really great take on the character. I, I wish there was a better way to talk about art on a podcast, because the the art in the story is just beautiful. Um, while the the overall composition of the various pages might not be like what we're used to getting in the silver or later in the silver age and bronze age, you can tell Sprang is taking each panel and making it as exciting as he can. He's doing angles and uh, framing shots and giving us uh, things that just weren't being done by other artists in this era. Uh, for those of you who do have the story in front of you, page three, the shot of Superman flying alongside the Batplane and then changing course and, and flying not really directly at the camera but sort of up and to the left, those are just both really great and really dynamic panels. Turning the page to page four in that first panel, look at how with the, with just a few lines and puffs of smoke, Sprang really conveys the, the blustery uh, nature that Perry White had been given in this era or to this point, thanks to the Superman radio serial and, and George Reeves's um, Adventures of Superman. Page six, the panel of Batman and Robin above the city is nice. Over on page eight, there's a, a really great shot of Superman streaking through the sky as the Batmobile hurtles along the road below it and the bat signal lights up in the sky behind him. It's easy for us as modern readers to take these types of things for granted, but in 1955, this was just really exceptional work, and, and other artists just weren't doing these kinds of things. Um, I've talked about it before, you know, just to sidestep for a minute. I talked about it before, but I want to point it out again because it's really important in these stories. Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne look different. Even if Clark wasn't wearing his glasses, there would be no mistaking these two for the same character. The jawline is different. Their hair is different. There's a um, there's a panel early on in the story where you see both characters in profile in one panel, and you can clearly see the distinction. And and I just really really do appreciate that in Sprang's work. And I kind of feel like I'm gushing here, so I think I'll just close the book on this one. But overall, just start to finish, I really really enjoyed this one, both the writing and the art. Uh, so right now we're going to take a break and play a couple promos, and then we'll be back to look at uh, the other features in the book and what else was on the stands. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am a terrible geek. I don't watch Doctor Who. I don't care for anime. I've never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I like Star Wars and Star Trek okay, but I've never really ventured far into the extended universes of either property. Hell, I have never even watched a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I've been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I've been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is. 
a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. To deal with this borderline personality disorder, I started a podcast in 2007 called Views from the Long Walks. Every two weeks, or so, depending on real life, I pick a particular series or issue or character or whatever to talk about, and then I... Well, well, I talk about them, because that's kind of the point of a podcast. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I have a guest, like my semi-regular co-host, The Irredeemable Shag, or my other semi-regular co-host, Thomas DJ, or with another friend from the podcasting world. The show is located at www.viewsfromalongbox.com, and from there you can find the iTunes link, the email address, as well as the backlog of episodes. Views from the Longbox. A podcast about comics, or a desperate cry for help? You decide. Every other Tuesday, or so, depending on real life, at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Hey, Michael. Hey, Dad. We need to record another new trailer. Another one? Yes. You know that we read comics and then talk about comics, because as we've established, talking about comics you've not read is just dumb. Yeah, you make me do it every Thursday. Well, we've moved. Have we? Yes, we have outgrown our old location. I don't feel like I've moved. And we have I've now grown. moved to twotruefreaks.com. What was that again? Twotruefreaks.com. A-Kids Comics, still every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com. If you would like to read the super newspaper of Gotham City and can't afford an original issue then you are definitely in luck, because this story has been reprinted three times. First in World's Finest Comics, number 188, from 1969, and more recently in the first volumes of both World's Finest Archives and Showcase Presents World's Finest, with the latter being a black-and-white reproduction. And I'll say, just to go back to the art for a minute, that Dick Sprang's art really pops in the black-and-white. I'm a big advocate of the Showcase line, but that's mostly because of their affordability and accessibility. Because, all things being equal, I'll take color reprints of stories originally published in color over the black and white kind. But I'll say, you know, artists like Dick Sprang suffer nothing from the loss of color. Uh, his artwork is every bit as striking when you're just seeing the black and white line work. So, well, you should own the Showcase volume anyway, but, you know, don't feel, especially with an artist like Dick Sprang, don't feel like you're getting shortchanged by not getting the color, because the artwork is just, it's every bit as beautiful without it. Uh, But to get back to the story, this, uh, it was also covered in episode 216 of Billy Hogan's Superman Fan Podcast, so be sure to head on over to thesupermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com and give that a listen. The Super Newspaper of Gotham City is the lead story in World's Finest Comics number 80, and that's followed by a six-page Green Arrow story, illustrated by George Papp, called The Bewitched Bow. Then there's a two-page text story by Jack Miller called Men Against the Sea, and the issue closes out with a six-page tomahawk story called The Brave Fort Fearless, excuse me, The Brave of Fort Fearless, with art by Fred Ray. And the writers of both the Green Arrow and Tomahawk stories seem to be unknown, as neither Mike's Amazing World or the Grand Comics Database listed an author. Uh, there's only really one ad worth mentioning in the book, but, but boy is it a doozy. It's a two-page center spread 
shilling Superman-related merchandise perfect for Christmas gifts. And these include the official Superman Magic Kit, Muscle Building Set, Paint by Numbers, Lunch Boxes, Games, Clothes, Swimming Items, and one of those things you tie to a string and spin around and it looks like Superman is flying. I'm not really sure what they're called, but they used to come in cereal boxes when I was younger. In the bottom right corner, it also plugs the uh, the uh, Adventures of Superman TV show, imploring you to, quote, watch the exciting Adventures of Superman on television. You just better hope they're showing reruns, though, because this issue came out in November and Season 3 ended in October. But since we can't watch the show, let's head on over to Mike's Amazing World of Comics at mikesamazingworld.com. We've read our issue of World's Finest Comics, or at least the most interesting part, so let's take a look at what else is on the stands. Once again, we're in that weird era where there's just not a lot going on. Uh, This issue came out about eight months before showcase number four, so technically we're still in the golden age, the the very, very late golden age. Uh, Wheels probably were starting to turn behind the scenes as far as getting that uh, showcase number four featuring the uh, first appearance of the, the Barry Allen Flash. They were probably, you know, spinning to get that ready and, and published. But on the spinner rack, presently we still have a lot of genre books and, you know, radio and TV adaptations, most of which I really don't care about. And that's not to say you shouldn't if you like them or that they're bad. They're just not my bread and butter. Um, But the first thing I see is Superman number 102 with a Gulliver's Travels-inspired cover that shows Superman tied down by a bunch of tiny aliens. And it's odd because... uh, Well, okay, Superman being tied up by a bunch of tiny aliens is odd for a lot of reasons. But it's an odd coincidence because Wonder Woman number 79, also out this month, shows a tiny Wonder Woman being picked up by a giant hand holding a pair of tweezers and being put into a cage that is surrounded by tiny aliens. So maybe tiny aliens were to 1955 what apes were to the 1960s. I don't know. Superboy number 46 has Superboy being shot out of a cannon. Don't ask. Detective Comics number 227 is possibly the most normal of the superhero fair this month. It features a story called The 50 Faces of Batman, where a crook tries to take pictures of Batman in various disguises in order to get a composite of Batman's real face, which kind of sounds like a neat idea for a story. And Action Comics number 212 has a story called The Superman Calendar. It's a gimmicky story, but what's neat about it is that they took two pages of the story to actually reproduce the calendar. So you could take those two pages and hang them on your wall and have a Superman calendar for 1956, which won't do you much good in 2014, but if you hang on to it until 2040, you're good to go, if people even know what print comics are in 2040. Uh, But to get back to the comics, last but not least, we have the third appearance of the greatest super-powered Kryptonian canine of all time, Crypto in Adventure Comics number 220. But that's it. Be sure to write in and let me know what you think of the show. I plan on doing a feedback episode next month in April, probably the latter part of April. So write in now and hear your email read on the show. And hey, be sure to leave iTunes feedback too. 
I've had a few people do so already, and I really want to thank those that have. Um, I'll be reading those in the feedback episode as well. But if you haven't, please go do so, maybe after you get done listening to this. It really does help with not just the iTunes ranking, but it helps people know that the show is worth listening to. There are a lot of podcasts out there. There are a lot of comic book podcasts out there. And when people can read honest reviews in the iTunes store, it really does help them to know which ones uh, that they should give a try to and, and which ones are worth listening to. So if you think this show is worth listening to, I mean, I know I do, but I, I could be a bit biased, go leave an iTunes review. Next time, we'll be diving back into the pages of World's Finest Comics for a story that I am really looking forward to covering. So please come back. Until then, thanks again for listening, and I will talk to you next time. Goodbye. It takes an orphan with a stutter. Who ain't afraid to use it? Fist! Summer states and winters waiting. Welcome to New York. Boy, ain't nature fascinating when you've got a Thanks for listening to Superman and Batman, hosted by me, Michael Bradley. Feedback can be sent to michael at greatcrypton.com. I love hearing from listeners, so be sure to send your comments, questions, and other feedback, and I will likely read that on a future episode. Show notes, information, and back episodes can be found at greatcrypton.com. Be sure to follow the show via Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe via iTunes or RSS feed so that you never miss an episode. If you subscribe via iTunes, be sure to leave a review. Not only does it help others find the show, but I'd love to read that in a future episode as well. Superman and Batman is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, home to many great Superman-related podcasts. Be sure to pay them a visit at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, and both characters are copyright DC Comics. For more about Superman's creators, be sure to visit my blog, Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers, at greatcrypton.com slash Schuster, where I commemorate the lives, works, and legacies of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. I want to thank you again very much for listening and invite you to come back next time for another episode of Superman and Batman. Featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. We our circulation. Walk
Closing music was Carrying the Banner from the soundtrack to the 1992 film Newsies. If you'd like to get this song, the album, or a DVD of the film, the best way to do that is to head on over to twotruefreaks.com and click on the Amazon.com banner. Pick up a CD, DVD, digital download, or pretty much anything else your heart desires, and Two True Freaks will get a little cut from every purchase. It won't cost you anything extra but does help ensure a steady stream of fine Two True Freaks-related podcasts.